Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and this is the podcast for all the current and future PAs out there who are interested in financial independence. I am so excited for today's episode. We have the hosts of the Student Loan Podcast, as well as the company Start New, joining us today. So welcome to the show, Daphne and Shamil. So glad to have you. We are so excited to be here and to speak with your audience and learn and empower people to PA the FI way. Thank you so much for having us, Kat. We're really excited. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys are able to join. Do you mind sharing with the audience a little bit about yourselves and how you two know each other? Sure. So basically in college, Shamil was following me pretty much every... I'm just kidding. (laughs) The truth comes out. (laughs) Oh, man. I want to see whose story was going to go out first. Um, So the truth is that we did actually meet in college, uh, but maybe he wasn't following me that much, just slightly. (laughs) So we were in international relations class at St. John's University. And I was used to being at the top of my class and just I was a big nerd. So when the professor was not paying attention to me, I had heart palpitations and didn't understand what was happening in this one class where the teacher wasn't recognizing my genius. So I realized that it wasn't my genius. <laughs> Instead, it was the fact that I wasn't sitting in the right seat. Oh. So I moved seats. Like the class was a U-shape, if people can kind of see that. It was that. very small. It was, a very it was small a small, like intimate 20, class. No more than 20. No, actually, yeah. no more than 20 people. Yeah, yeah, probably not more than 20 people. But the shape was a U, and I was sitting at the top of one of the, the U letters, if that makes sense, or the, I don't know, the yeah. tips sure. of the U, when really the professor kept walking to the middle of the U. Which makes so sense. So once I realized that, exactly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, who was he uh, seeing at that time? It doesn't matter. So anyways, <laughs> I walk and sit in that middle of the U once I realize that, you know, it's time for me to really seize the A, if that makes sense. <laughs> And somebody random walks up to me and he goes, you're sitting in my seat. And I told him, there are no assigned seats in college. And that's how we met. (laughs) That's awesome. That's so great. So Daphne's uh, version of the story is just a little different than how I remember it. But, you know, we will say that most of it is true. Uh, The fact that uh, I had the uh, strategic mind to know where I should sit and, uh, You know, one day, it was about a week or two, I want to say. It was not a week. It was like literally (laughs) two days. But either way, no, we did meet in college. Um, That's actually uh, the interaction, the the quotes from that script are actually true. Uh, um, 
And uh, after that, we just started uh, working together in class and projects. And then after that, Daphne got her master's. Uh, we got engaged and got married after that. And then we came up with the, the idea for startnew.com. And and then after a couple of years of working on that, we created the Student Loan Podcast because, you know, we just really saw, just when we started Start New, we really wanted to give people the ability to start new, right? Like it's a play on words. That's why we came up with that, with the with the name. And we really wanted to give people the opportunity to start new, start fresh, start a new opportunity and have another creative solution on the table to pay for their student loans by giving back to the community. So nonprofits are benefiting from people helping. You know, we are uh, allowing for people that may not uh, have an opportunity to pay for school or cover a gap, I want to say is a better way to say, if you're, you know, in between your your scholarships and whatever else, you're getting your financial aid package. Sure. Uh, and so that's really where it came from. And and then the Student Loan Podcast was really this outgrowth. I know I'm really going into the story here, uh, Kat, but I just wanted to share that that part is that we're really passionate about, one, higher education financing, education equity, and then giving everyone the opportunity to go to where they want to go to school. And I think that's really where this all stems from for us. Yeah, that's amazing. I am really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about Start New a little bit later in the episode for sure. But do you mind sharing what made you guys start the student loan podcast in particular? Why do you feel like yeah. there was this need? What parts of your guys' past, you know, education, professions, those types of things made you yeah. guys feel like you wanted to start this podcast? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so when we started, like, I guess officially started the student loan podcast back in 2017, there weren't a lot of options for communities of people who wanted to just get rid of this weight on their shoulders. And there was a lot about consumer debt. There was a lot about other aspects of achieving financial independence. But that specific niche of like having that huge shoulder, like debt on your shoulders really is what it is to, to get through so that you can move on to the next step. We didn't really see that community and a lot of shady things were happening in the student loan industry, I have to be honest. And so we knew about it because we had a startup just like only addressing student loan debt. But a lot of other people weren't aware of like how MPNs were not your friend. <laughs> like you just didn't know what were in the terms. Um, how, why looking at your amortization schedule was important. Like a lot of just really boring technical things that impact your, your ability to be free of student loan debt weren't shared as frequently. And so we started just with the idea of let's just create a community so that we have a group of people that are passionate about the same thing, which is just getting rid of student loan debt. That was like our, our number one thing. And fortunately today, there are so many other outlets. But at the time, like when we did our first episode, there really were, there was nothing, I think, like <laughs> um, in, in this space. And it was disheartening because we have users who were writing us letters, who we were getting emails from, who were sharing their experiences and how massive amounts of student loan debt had changed their lives, right? We're of the millennial generation, Woo -woo. <laughs> 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 awesome. which means that we have survived back-to-back -back financial crises, yeah. right? And so a lot of us were in the you know, 2007, 2008, 2009 financial crisis. And 
That meant that if you were in college at that time, you graduated thinking you went to school, you took on student loan debt so that you can have an opportunity to maybe change your family's life if you're a first-generation college student, for example, and you graduate and all of a sudden there are no jobs or if you had a job, your offer is rescinded and you're working at Starbucks with $50,000 of student loan debt and no experience. And those same people worked for a few years being underpaid. Let's say you had the blessing of getting back into the market. Then there was another financial crisis, right? Uh, um, And so all of this is like two back-to-back financial crises before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people complain about millennials, say all sorts of things about us. But the truth is that our generation is really resilient and we've gone through a lot of different crises and we're still standing here. We're still contributing. We're still generous, right? One of the most generous generations, not to play on words. So I think there's so much beauty to be celebrated about millennials for having survived those financial crises. So all of that was in the background of us saying, like, people are suffering. Let's just get together a community of people so that we can talk about solutions. And it evolved. We're fortunate enough to have had guests that are policy focused, guests that have had experience in various areas of implementing change for student loan debt. And so... We want to continue to expand on that and really just spread the message on how we can become a world where at least people in developed nations go to school for free. And hopefully one day in the future, everybody can go to school for free, no matter what socioeconomic class you come from. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of those details and your reasoning for starting that podcast. I think that's really great. Thank you. No, we love it. So did you guys graduate with a lot of student loan debt? And what type of profession are you in as well that may have had a fair amount if you did have a lot? Sure. No, great question. Um, I was the, I'll start off with this one because I think we have two different stories about uh, how we ended up getting into our student loan debt situations. Uh, For me, I went, I was in a situation where uh, one of the first few family members to go to college and um, what that meant was that I always knew I was going to college, but what I learned quickly was I didn't know how we were going to pay for sure. it, right? And so when I got to school, I was still in a period in time, uh, for those of you who may not remember, but they used to set up banks with tents at school and you would basically you know, walk up and down and you get credit cards with no income proof, no credit history. <laughs> it was just so easy to sign up for all this stuff and make great financial sure. decisions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did some of those tents have financial uh, so, advisors too? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably selling uh, some whole there life you go, insurance, there you right? Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> all jokes aside, <laughs> sorry, it's personal for me too because at one point I did have my life insurance license selling term. By oh, the way, okay. So don't worry Thank about goodness. That. Thank goodness, Shamil. Thanks. <laughs> but um, but no. So I, yes, I did take out uh, tons of student loans actually to pay for school. Um, you know, from whatever I didn't get in my financial aid package. What I didn't know is that you could negotiate your financial aid sure. package. Um, and I know Daphne will go into that. And we've covered that on our student loan podcast um, a lot because it's something that a lot of people just didn't yeah. know, myself included. So, so yes, I did graduate with uh, student loan debt. Uh, and then I got my, uh, I joined the National Guard um, with the Army in New Jersey and got my law degree for free. Awesome. Uh, I did take out some just to make all transparency. I did take out some to help cover some like living expenses. 
because uh, I ended up working uh, and doing that as well. Uh, but it was a, a great opportunity for me because I learned. Um, and one of the things that are that I think are very important for me to share when I share my story is that I delayed going to law school because of how much I had to take out in my undergraduate. Sure. Wow. So just to get my undergraduate degree, I waited several years before I even was like, all right, I think I can do this now. Um, and that was, you know, it wasn't even the reason I joined the guard. It was just a nice benefit. But at that point I was like, look, I need to, you know, move my career. I need to make some progressions here. And, and that was, was a big part of, of my step, but it did delay my decision to move forward in that part of my life. Sure. Really true. And so my story is slightly different. Um, I, had the great fortune of you know doing well in high school, secondary school, depending on where you're from. And so when I finished, I had I was dead set on going to school at uh, New York University in Manhattan. Okay. It was the school of my dreams, and I did get in. And they did give me some financial aid. However, they only gave me half of the cost of attending school. And even though that was guaranteed for the four years, the fact that I was at the top of my class in secondary, I didn't feel like that was an adequate representation of what my financial aid package should be. So even though this was, you know, my dream school, I went into another school, showed them my transcript and asked, what do you have for me? And they said, well, we can put all of this together and you can go to school for free. And I said, Welcome. Where do I sign? <laughs> That's great. So, That's awesome. Congrats. I, <laughs> yep. So I I went to um, college, I guess you could say, right, the, the bachelor's for essentially free. And in fact, I got paid to go to school because I was doing so many you know, different scholarship options. I was also applying to essays and I was a college ambassador and I uh, sang for my school. <laughs> I, I did all the side hustles that you can think of. And I actually graduated with a net positive. That's amazing. Um, and then, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and then, so when it was time to go to my my job, right, I was one of the people that graduated in the financial crisis. So I had a great job that I summered at for my junior year of college. And, you know, we all had our offers and we were going to work at this nice cush place. And then after the financial crisis happened, they were like, whoops, sorry, guys, you don't have jobs anymore. And so, so I was like, oh, well, that's not great. Um, so I kind of thought about, well, what was the next step? I was fortunate enough to have made really good relationships and I landed a graduate assistantship for my master's where I was able to work and so build my resume and get my master's for free. So awesome. my master's was nice. also free. That's great. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> here's where it gets, you dun, know, dun, dun. I can't. Yep. (laughs) But uh, I am in a family where they sort of give us, I don't want to call it an ultimatum, but there's sort of this incentivized pressure, I'll call it. I'm going to start calling it incentivized pressure, actually, (laughs) to um, actually be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. Those are our three paths. Sure. And so I looked at the time for all of those careers and law was the shortest. (laughs) There you go. So... I went into law, even though I was pre-med for a bit in college. (laughs) Um, 
I went into law because it was just shorter, to be honest. And I had a lot of policy interest too. Like I, I was, I was like, let's not let's not sell yourself yeah, short. No, no, right. you are at your I, job. I was well, <laughs> I appreciate that. But no, I I genuinely enjoy advocating for change. You know, there, there was a little bit of interest, but I mean I could have also majored in piano, you know, like <laughs> there's just so many other things I could have sure. done that I probably would have enjoyed more, but because of the incentivized pressure, I ended up going to law school. Um so law school was not as subsidized as my previous two degrees. So I ended up taking out student loan debt because the scholarships that were given to me, and I don't want to be ungrateful because I'm so grateful for all of the essays that I applied to where I was given a scholarship, you know, all of the competitions that I did where I did receive a scholarship. So I received some scholarships. However, law school is expensive. Mm -hmm. So... They did not cover $75,000 a year. Sure. <laughs> so I ended up graduating with a lot of student loan debt from law school. And so my student loan payoff journey has been paying off my law school student loan debt. Okay. Well, thank you so much to both of you for sharing those wonderful stories. I really appreciate it. There's a few things I want to touch on with those stories before we move on. I want to thank Shamil for his service. I think that's awesome that you're in the military and... I think that's really great. It's definitely something that PAs can certainly pursue as well to try to help with some student loan payback. So thank you for your service and for all you've done. Thank you for saying that, Kat. We really appreciate it. And then Daphne, I really wanted to touch on how you mentioned that you got paid to go to school. I think that's a huge bit of information that a lot of people don't know, <laughs> where if you are super fortunate to get many scholarships, you can actually have more money or a positive net worth, as yes. you said, when you come out of school. So that's amazing. So I encourage yeah. PAs to try to keep applying for scholarships all throughout their education because it can be very easy, so to speak, to say, oh, well, I already got my full ride. I already got my scholarship. The end, right? What more money do I need? Well, if you can get more money, you might as well go for it, right? Yeah, yeah, you can. And you can invest it too. Like you don't have to. I We we have friends in college that were way more active than we were in this. But there's an opportunity like there. Well, depending on what scholarship, like which scholarships sure. you're getting, there tend not to be sort of terms about how you spend it as long as it's related to school. So there are a lot of ways that improving your net worth and making sure that you're financially stable to pursue a career do contribute to your education and your future profession. So think about ways that you can maximize the excess, if you will, um, when you're in school. Being in school is such a great opportunity, right? You're a student, so everybody loves you, right? People make time for mentorship conversations. Sure. Those same people sit on the boards of these scholarships that are making the decisions, right? I see where you're going with so this. You're you see what I'm saying? <laughs> so if you take time as a student to do some research, find out who is who, and develop relationships with those people, you'll find yourself sort of being guided on a path to tell you, hey, you should apply to this scholarship. And in law school, that happened to me numerous times where somebody said, um, I've heard about this scholarship that you should apply to. And that was it. That was all that was said. And I listened and I got the scholarship. So there are a lot of opportunities like that where you just want to make sure that you're 
constantly, yes, you're doing well in school, but also what's your career path going to be? Do you want to be inpatient? Do you want to be outpatient? Do you want to work for a hospital system? Do you want to work for an independent practitioner? What's your end game? And then who do you need to meet to get there? Is it being on the local, you know, uh, community boards? Like who, how are you going to meet those people and, um, where do they sit and what ties do they have that can help you move forward? Because eventually one day then you help them, right? That's, that's what actually happens is that they've helped you. And I'm very grateful again to all of the people that have helped me with all the scholarships I've received. But the truth is that in my capacity today, I've also helped some of those people. So there's, it's a huge, beautiful world of relationships. And if you're willing to make and strengthen those relationships, it can be really nice. Wow. That's amazing advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that there's lots of different takeaways with that. So thank you for covering that for our listeners today. Sure. And then since you guys both went to law school, do you mind sharing what types of lawyers you are? And I don't think a lot of my listeners are necessarily very familiar with all the different types out there, but if you don't mind kind of sharing what you do. (laughs) Sure. So there are different types of practicing lawyers, and then there are those of us who went to law school with the intention not to practice. Okay. I am the latter. I went to law school with the intention not to practice. I never wanted to fight in court. I I just, that wasn't what I wanted. However, (laughs) um, the truth is that I do love advocating for people who need. So I do a lot of my pro bono hours and some of it is litigation involved. Like last year I had a few litigation pro bono cases, but I don't, that's not why I went into law school was like to litigate like, like my brother does. The path that I chose instead was to work in an industry where I feel that the infrastructure contributes to our greater society. So I work in the financial services sector as a day job, and I am in a role where my legal background is what they call JD preferred. So they're looking for an attorney to do this type of work, but you don't need to be licensed to do it. And that's really interesting to me because I love implementation. For me, it's not just saying that's illegal. Like I like helping people do what the right thing is, right? And so that's what I ended up doing. And that's consistent with my personal mission towards achieving global financial inclusion. Like every job that I've had has been a step towards helping everybody have more inclusivity with financial independence. And so that's that's like all that I think about <laughs> and what I write in my journal. Awesome. And so <laughs> that's that's how, that's how I used my law degree. And so I do still quote practice, but like I said only for pro bono hours. In fact, if anybody in your audience is in need of some free legal advice, uh, I'm an attorney licensed in the state of New Mexico <laughs> and I have about 30 hours left of pro oh, bono. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, and similar to Daphne, but in a different sense, um, I actually um, am still getting my license uh, now, actually. Uh, but I've had the opportunity to um, get into the commercial real estate uh, nice. space uh, as an associate at a firm uh, here in Jersey. And then I also have had the opportunity to work at a boutique firm that does criminal defense work um, for major crimes in uh, the federal, city, and state level in New York City. 
Uh, so I've had those those opportunities, but now the the main focus that I have is uh, is with the military. So once uh, things settle down there, then I'm looking forward to get back into the the swing of things in the legal in the law side. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for sharing that information because, like I said, I wasn't very aware of all the different types of lawyers that are out there, and I can imagine that several of my listeners are kind of in the same boat. So thank you guys for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. And one like sort of interesting thing that. I've just been thinking about as a person who loves like math, science, I have a personal, I guess, I don't know, academic interest. I read medical journals, for example, you know, that's like, why would I do that to myself? That's that's no joke at all. If you you want to read the PA medical journal, it is called JAPA, (laughs) the Journal of the American Academy of Physician Assistants. So love i i will there check that out no i i am interested in the pa career a lot more now uh, but what i'd like to share with you and your audience is you can go to law school with any background you do not need a political science background to go to law school you don't need and i've i've gone to law school with engineers with people who were doctors uh, my dad actually uh, was in the medical profession before going to law school after like 20 years awesome. of practicing so there's opportunity in that space to merge. And this is why it's important. There's a very interesting space right now that's untapped. And I feel like this is the first time I'm saying this out loud. I've written this in my journal. So, uh, but don't worry, I'm not like trademarking anything. <laughs> the There's a patient advocacy space that is not really in existence where people with medical backgrounds who are attorneys would basically take over this whole industry. And I don't know if you've heard, but attorneys get paid kind of sure. well. So, I mean, I'm PA get paid well too. You like, yeah, let's not sleep like on we're PAs, all, guys. yeah, you guys are all, everybody here is, is sure. comfortable. Um, but there's an opportunity to really help a segment of people that I think we were speaking about like patients being frustrated with the people that are trying to help them. And really, I always thought, wouldn't it be interesting if there was some sort of a mediator, somebody who speaks the medical language, but who knows how to humanize, right? Bedside manner, if you will, um, for people who are, who are the patients. So it's a really unique idea. And I, you guys are already going to a lot of school. Like I'm not really encouraging more student loan debt, but, <laughs> but just join, join the military yeah. to pay for free then. Yeah. yeah. There you go. If you are able to, yeah, free ways, what would it, what would the world look like, right? If you had PAs who also had JDs, I don't know. I feel like that would be a beautiful marriage of careers, but I don't know. Just yeah. Throwing an idea out yeah, there, that's guys. wonderful. <laughs> that's a very interesting idea for sure. There's some, you know, Facebook groups that are out there and mm-hmm. there are some that are, you know, only PA, certified PA Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. And there is one gentleman on there that tends to post different things that he is both a PA and a lawyer, but I believe what he mostly no does way. is medical legal work. And so sometimes yeah. he'll, you know, make comments like, well, hey, that's you know, a lawsuit waiting to happen type of thing or, you know, things like yeah. that. And yeah. about you definitely yeah. be very careful about yeah. HIPAA and all sorts of things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know of one out there through social media, but, but yes, wow. he doesn't do okay. what you were suggesting as far as I'm aware. So I think that's a very interesting thing right. to think about. 
What he's doing is probably much more lucrative, right? Is working for the, yeah, that's much more profitable, maybe. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Me either. But I, yeah, but that that's so interesting that somebody would do both sides of the brain like that. I love that. He must be like a genius. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I only know him through Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So right. do you... Mind, do you guys feel comfortable sharing what your student loan numbers were at all? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for me, uh, a little under 100000 at this point. Most of it, like I said, is uh, under um, undergraduate. And I can definitely tell you where I was when I graduated. Sure. So when I graduated, my student loan debt was 213000 Oh, man. I'm so sorry. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's just three years and three years of going to school, but without spending the year paying the accumulating interest. Sure. So the mistake that I made in law school was I folk well, it's not that I focused too much on studying, but I didn't take enough time to call the student loan servicers to find out what my daily compounding interest rate was to see what should I be paying while I'm still in school before the student loans kick in. So I would encourage people who are still students to consider um paying that. That was a huge um challenge for me. Yeah, definitely. That's certainly very challenging. And I had shared my previous student loan amount when I was a guest on your podcast too. So it's really fun that we're being guests on each other's podcasts. But my total student (laughs) loans were a little over $122,000, which Mm -hmm. I thought was, you know, debilitating, so to speak. But there are some kids that Mm -hmm. graduate with over 200,000. So it just, you know, kind of depends upon how much they have with debt in undergrad, but then also how expensive their private PA school is if they do go to a private PA school, which a lot of them are. So that amount is a lot, but I think it's unfortunately pretty common with, you know, PAs and lawyers. So, yeah. Right, right. It's the six-figure student loan student loan debt. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If- I, call, I call them uh, mortgage student loans. You know, they're... Yes. Just, they're- they're buying homes essentially in different parts of the country. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. It was very depressing to find out that my student loan payment was more than our first mortgage payment. So yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. interesting That's to see. crazy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was just going to say, why do you guys feel as though there is a huge student loan crisis in our country with, you know, so many people having six figure in student loans? I agree. And I'm, I know Shamil has thoughts on this as well, but I'm just going to have to jump in. I, I think student loan debt is wreaking havoc on a generation, multiple generations actually of people, because don't forget Gen Z is now like they're graduating from college. Sure. Right. And they're, we haven't fixed the problem yet. So we're in a situation where education has increased by hundreds, like the percent, the percentage increase is in the hundreds since the 1950s. However, the cost of living is not lining up with how much we're getting paid. So incomes, salaries, and how much people are getting paid for their services or time is not consistent with the amount of increase really that education has educate like just the cost of education i think is the foundational issue i'm sorry universities but it's just true like the foundational issue is the cost I of i agree education. with that and then thank you i appreciate that because a lot of people want to point to 
oh, the servicers and this. And yes, everybody is contributing to making the problem worse, if you will. But if we go to the source of the problem, why can you get a quality education in other first world countries that cost close to nothing and you come to the United States and people are in six figures of student loan debt. Exactly. This is a question that we should we should just be asking ourselves. Or in Canada, my cousin was an attorney by 22 mm-hmm. years old because of the way that they structure their education. Yes. It didn't require the amount of time that it does here. And let's not forget, it was significantly less expensive. So foundational issue is just the cost being too high. And then outcomes. The outcomes are that you have a generation of people who now are delaying life decisions, right? Shamil told you he delayed getting the next degree that he wanted. Other people have delayed having families. People have delayed buying homes. None of that is good for our economy. Sure. So the student loan crisis is bigger than an, an opinion of of canceling student loan debt or whatever, you know, well, the, the hill wants to talk about and our politicians. It's really a bigger foundational issue that we need to look at what's the cost of education? What jobs are these kids getting when when we graduate, right? And are the jobs covering the amount of debt that we've accumulated? These are huge policy questions. Awesome. That was all great. No, and I, it's, uh, so Daphne definitely covered the gamut there, but I think one of the areas that I think is apropos for just like where we're at right now, uh, congressionally, the the community college being free mm-hmm. was something that we've been hearing about for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, it's been reported, and we'll see what happens when it, when the final budget bill gets passed, but it's been reported that they're taking that mm-hmm. off the table. Uh, and it's unfortunate because even at the community college level, we know that there is a higher success rate uh, in terms of performance at your undergraduate four-year school if you do go to a community college. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. And I think these are things that are really important to highlight because oftentimes, uh, myself included, when I was looking at schools, right, like I just overlooked the idea. I was like, oh, no, I grew up here. Do I really want to go to community college in the area? Like I want to go have the college experience, right? Yeah. Tons of student loan debt later. Yeah. Okay. Next time, (laughs) you know, if I get another chance, I'm making a separate decision. Unity college. (laughs) But but no, I say that because um, I think there's this opportunity societally where we're missing the opportunity to give or make the ramp into your professional career easier to access mm-hmm. for everyone. And I think that's a big problem because Daphne hit it on the head where people are delaying decisions to contribute back to the economy after they've graduated. Now, if you can help reduce the amount of debt that someone takes on just to get their schooling before they get started in their professional careers, you're allowing for them to actually contribute in many different ways with their now disposable income uh, instead of having to just redirect it back into uh, into these student loans that they've accumulated just to go get there. Um, the only other item, I guess, that I wanted to add uh, to it is, is what I perceive as more of a cultural issue where we're just really, really advocating, like, you must go to school. You're going to get paid so much more. you got to go to school. You have to, you have to, you have to. And then there's no alignment, I want to say, between whether that really works for you as an individual. Uh, and then secondly, whether or not the amount of school, and this is a more of my own personal ideas that I think should happen, is that whether or not your tuition should be based on like what you're going to earn when you graduate. 
right? Should your should the amount that your school costs or how much you can actually take out that you're even allowed to take out in student loans mm-hmm. could be something similar to what you would make in your career field, right? Sure. I think that that would allow for people to uh, have a realistic expectation of what they're going to make, right? I think sometimes we can get little uh, rosy colored glasses when you're thinking about how much you're going to make when you're starting off versus what you see when yeah, you apply definitely. for entry-level jobs. Um, so I think it's really important to help educate the student as well, because Daphne already hit the institutional issues that we're seeing there. But I do think it's really important to really make the cost of education adaptable. If we can't make it free, right? If we can't, if we still can't agree generally, nationally, on a federal level that we can't make it free just yet, which is where I think we should go, then we should at least enforce some sort of flexibility that aligns your cost, not with the school, but what, what your program that you're studying for will actually do for you. And so I think that the summary, to sum up my point on what I think the issues are, to add to Daphne's uh, points about the institutional issues and, and me talking about the cultural side, is just that we really need to reconsider how, if we can't do it for free, then how can we make schools adaptable to make it affordable for everyone to access so that when they graduate, they can get right to contributing to the economy versus just taking on all the student loan debt and then having to figure out how to live their lives and also tackle this this burden that they didn't now you know, have to take care of. Awesome. Thank you both for your insight on that issue. I know that that student loan crisis is a giant issue that we're all facing. So I really appreciate that. There's a couple of things I wanted to follow up on with your points. One is that, yes, I think community college is an amazing education. Why is community college for two years so much cheaper than going to a state university or a private university for those same exact two years? So I definitely started my education at community college. I'm a huge advocate for it. So I think that's awesome for sure. No, absolutely. Can't. Got me excited because I was was going to say that, no, I served, I got lucky. Like I said, I initially had like, I want to go do the university experience. And then I was like, I got the opportunity after I graduated, literally the year after, uh, I was selected to serve on the board of trustees for our community college. Um, So I got to do that for several years and learned a lot of those details that I had mentioned where there's a success rate academically after going to a two-year school to go to community college you just have a better success rate. You're financially better off after you graduate. And and then you ask the same question. Like you just hit it square on the head, Kat. It's why would you pay for four years what you're getting at a fraction of the cost and you're better prepared to tackle the four-year school? So it just doesn't make exactly. sense. Like just don't don't even come to me with those questions. Not you, anybody else who's not <laughs> against what we're saying here. Uh, but I think you're, you're, you're square on that the... Community college is where it's at. I think that hopefully Congress can figure that out because when we heard that idea that it was going to be free across the board, I just thought of so many people that don't go to school because they think they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And to set yourself up for success academically by getting those two years knocked out, I mean, that you asked you ask the best question, why does it cost so much? And why does everyone have to do it, by the way? That's another question I have. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That leads me into another awesome point that you guys had made was that it is so important to truly decide if college is right for you. My husband went to two years of training. He got a certificate. And, you know, that's not technically college, but he had student loans from it, right? Well, Mm -hmm. he learned a lot of mechanical things. He was mechanical beforehand, too. 
But he would probably say that the cost of it was not worth what he technically learned. And does he use it for his profession right now? No. He's always very handy in fixing things. But he, in general, is not a student, academic, college type of person. So I do find it so disheartening when I hear my, you know, patients or friends, parents or the kids are telling me their story where they're like, well, I feel like I have to go to college. And I say, oh, well, what are you majoring in? Well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm majoring in. And it's like, no, 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 you should not start (laughs) your generals without a plan. Like, that just seems like you're wasting your time and money, in my opinion, until you actually know what you're going to school for. So I thought that was an excellent point as well. Amen. Amen. And then another point that you guys had made was that if you know what you want your career to be, so in high school, I knew I wanted to become a PA. Why do I have to waste the time and money to take geology or those other (laughs) types of classes that do not serve me? Where, like you said, in other countries, they often have those expedited programs where you can become a medical provider a lot more quickly and start practicing at younger ages with less student loan debt. So I thought that was an excellent point as well. Absolutely. And, and look, the, the same system that allows for us to be a wealthy nation is the same system that is hurting us in this space, which is capitalism. I think the truth is that school has become a business, right? You guys were speaking about earlier, you know, why does the great education that you get at community college, why is it so much less expensive than a four-year college? Well, the four-year colleges are building pools and having like blow-up balloons parties (laughs) so that they can attract freshmen from, you know, wealthy families who can send kids to their school cash and then invest in their donation philanthropy fund for years to come. Like it's a business model where they're attracting a certain student profile from the upper middle class or elite to come into their school and give money. And that's not what education is about. I'd love to see the United States go back to the foundation of what education and pedagogy are. Like, that's the beauty. Like, education is something so beautiful. The transfer of information, it, it really is foundationally so beautiful. And some of the my mentors that matter the most to me have been my teachers and professors, right? I, I'll never forget my secondary school uh, professor for calculus who took time out of his day to just teach me Calc 3 and 4, even though um, only officially we were doing Calc 2 in secondary. Sure. And he did that out of the love of teaching, out of the the joy of transferring information to a random student who just happened to be interested. And th- where did that go? You know, like what happened to that? I'd say the same thing in, in college, right? With shout out to Dr. Levenis in college, who was so passionate about the systems of oppression that we learned about right in political science that he sat down with us and taught us okay when you read a newspaper when you read anything always read objectively looking for what asking yourself questions right who is writing this why are they writing this what type of point of view teaching you how to think what happened to the joy and the privilege and the beauty of education 
And when did it become the business of education? Yeah. That's just a question I have. Exactly. I think that was perfectly said as well. That's very valid point to think about. I think that there can be some benefit to having the quote unquote college experience for some people, right? They, you know, feel like they are very social. They thrive on meeting new friends. And Mm -hmm. I met my now sister-in-law. She introduced me to my husband through college. So, you know, I can't downplay private (laughs) private colleges or universities (laughs) by any means. But I think that it's really important that people do evaluate, is it really worth the Investment. Investment, the time, the money to go to that particular school as well. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And I think, too, that you guys had touched on that amazing point as well about how it's very interesting how it seems as though colleges as well as probably lenders are at fault, too, that these really young adults, they're only 18, you know, they're still technically teenagers in a lot of people's minds that they can go and sign on the dotted line and take these giant student loans out, but that they haven't been taught any financial education almost always in high school or even in college too. So I think that that's a very, another very disheartening point as well. That's really disheartening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, I think you really, you really hit a good point there, Kat, because when, when you think about the long-term impacts of, of what that means. Like, I know that you're in the five space, right? So just thinking about the loss of compound interest that someone has because they are now paying, you know, 500, 1,000, 1,500, depending on how big your student loans are, instead of investing it, it, you know, it's just, it's just a lot. It adds up very quickly. And people just think, oh, no, 10 years, 20 years to pay up your student loan debt. And you're like, but no, if you, if you had just seen what that would do at 7% interest, you know, over the lifespan of a typical investment, you know, cycle for someone, that's real money. That's real money that they're losing. It is. And, and for families that don't come from the upper middle class or the elite, those are, that's another generation that we potentially lost. Like, aren't we supposed to improve? Aren't we supposed to help people get out of poverty? Aren't we, isn't that the, is everybody not on the same page? Like I, I just, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get to a world where we see like, we don't want, if this is supposedly a developed nation, why do we have poverty? Why are there, wh- why is that even a concern? Like to me, I think in the United States of America, there should be no one who doesn't know how they're going to eat because of what background they they have or isn't sure that they can go to college because of what neighborhood they grew up. This is crazy. This is, this makes no sense. Yeah. So I think we need to accept the absurdity of the situation that we're in so that people can start to make change as a society. It's just, I, I have real problems with the inequities that education perpetuates the way that it's organized right now. And I don't think it's intentional. I'm not saying that there's any sort of secret group doing this on purpose. But what I am saying is that can we not recognize that there are a population of people who, because of things that they have no control over, like where they were born (laughs) and what neighborhood they're in, and they work really hard to go to community college and then go to the four-year college and still graduate with student loan debt, and they lost 10 years 15 years, 20 years of investing because of student loan debt. Mm -hmm. This is terrible. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's recognize it for what it is. It's a huge problem. But I'm sorry, I don't think your audience came here to. <laughs> no, I, to I, rant. <laughs> I can definitely sense your passion about all of that, Daphne. So thank you for sharing all of that information too. It's definitely something to consider. And in that same vein, with new PAs coming out of PA school with you know over six figures of student loan debt. Mm-hmm. What types of suggestions or advice do you guys feel like you have to try to help them find the balance between paying off that debt, but also investing so they can try to get that power of compound interest working in their favor to build wealth over time? Yes, I'm super passionate about payoff strategies. So <laughs> I I know it sounds weird to say, but I am. Great. So. <laughs> That's awesome. So I think step one is really planning. So making a decision and saying, my goal is in X number of years or X number of months, if you're super bold, to pay off, like whether it's the full balance or one student loan, and then prioritize it, decide what methodology you're using. All of this is going to be important in what your strategy is in allowing you to know how much you can invest, right? Step one is saying, I have six-figure student loan debt. They're broken out into many different loan balances, if you will. Like it's not just one huge 300,000 balance. Like yep. It's broken out usually. And so you prioritize by interest rate or by amount, what methodology are you going to use? And different factors can help you do that. If all of them are government loans, then it might be a little bit easier. But if you have a harmony of government loans and private loans, then you may want to think about, well, what do the government loans offer me that is an eligibility factor that I might be interested in? Sure. Are there other strategies that I can leverage to reduce my interest rate, such as refinancing? What what strategy am I, am I going to take? And then you organize your loans in that strategy. Let's just assume for the sake of illustration that you have one private student loan and the rest of them are government, and you've chosen to prioritize paying off the private student loan first because you are working in the public sector, so you'll be eligible for PSLF, PSLF, which means that it makes sense to keep the government loans. Exactly. And so in that sense, you say, okay, I'm going to prioritize them by either the snowball method, which I'm sure your audience already knows what that is, but to reiterate, um, organizing by loan balance, so saying you're paying off the smallest one first and going all the way to the largest one, or by the... Um, avalanche method, which is organizing by interest rate. So paying off the highest interest first and lowest interest last. And the purpose of the avalanche method is to pay less interest over time. Exactly. So essentially do your research, find out how you want to pay off your student loan debt and prioritize a strategy. Then look at your net income, not gross income, ladies and gentlemen, your net income. How much money do you make after taxes, deductions, and all that stuff? Sure. And ask yourself, okay, what can I do with my net income after eating, paying for my house? What's What money is left over? And there are different ways that people think about this. If you've read any of the Robert Kiyosaki books, he talks about paying yourself first. So this is a really good example of that. When you look at your net income, and I'm not going to go into tax strategies right now. I think that's it would take too long. But um, when you look at your just net income, assuming you don't leverage any sort of tax strategies, 
um, you know how much it costs to live, ask yourself, am I willing to reduce that cost of living? Is that something that I'm willing to save on? Is that is my living situation something that matters to me during this payoff period? Um, is my eating lifestyle something that's important to me? Am I willing to eat at Aldi instead of Whole Foods? And, you know, is just ask yourself the lifestyle questions. How much do it, does it cost for me to exist, live and breathe as a human? Do I have any dependents? How much do they cost me? And what is left, right? Sure. And so when you have that what is left number, now you know what you're working with. Because what you may not realize is that sometimes that what is left number, if you're not paying attention, gets spent on frivolous things like buying an extra candy at the grocery store sure. or like going to too many movies in a month before the pandemic or ordering too much Netflix. I, I, I don't know. Oh, like wow. <laughs> like <Yeah>. everybody has. <laughs> I clearly don't watch Netflix. But, um, <laughs> whatever, whatever people are doing with their money, you know, it might be, it might not be intentional. And to accomplish any goal, including financial independence, including paying off six-figure student loan debt, you need to be intentional with your money. So we've we've already decided what method we're using. We've already done an accounting, you could say, of how much money you have net and what's left. Now, develop a strategy. Is your strategy to pay off your debt quickly or is your strategy to grow your net worth quickly? Is it sure. a combination I suggest people do a combination because you don't want to lose out on time, mm -hmm. right? Time is the most valuable resource yeah. that we have. So I suggest that people do the 401k match if you're at a company that does that, even if you're paying off your student loan debt. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> even if you have six figure student loan debt, you should still, it's free money. Like, to be honest, it's free money. Definitely. So the 401k match. Um Initially, it's maybe difficult to max out all of your retirement accounts when you're paying off debt still, right? But making contributions is not impossible. So sort of decide on the same prioritization method, how am I going to contribute to these retirement accounts in a way to allow for me to accomplish financial independence so that when I pay off my student loan debt, I'm not Yay, I have a zero net worth now. It's yay, I also have six figures of investment accounts. Yeah. And that will happen in 10 years. Like in 10 years, you it's you you have no idea how quickly that goes by for us oldies in the room. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> it goes by quickly. <laughs> so you you know, you have six figures investment account before you know it. Mm -hmm. Um and you near a million dollars before you know it and you realize that none of those, both of those numbers are not that much money um, when you're thinking about financial independence, right? And so I think there's a lot of benefit to investing while paying off student loan debt so that when it is paid off, especially if you are PSLF and you've been you know, keeping all your paperwork in check and doing all the things on time and documenting everything and making phone calls to make sure that they've received their paperwork on time. If you, if that's your situation, then there is a huge benefit to investing because then when you're debt-free, you have a very positive net worth and you are well on your way to financial independence. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. That's awesome. Sorry that took so long. No, I think that was great. I think that, like you said, 
starting with a plan is definitely super important. And like you touched on, often people will consider the snowball or the avalanche method to consider which one they prefer. I did an episode that talked about both of those. It was episode 11 of the PFF Highway podcast. And with those different methods, it is you have to kind of decide, do you need the psychological wins with the snowball method? Meaning like, Mm -hmm. oh, hey, I got this debt paid off. I feel better. I'm more motivated and amped up to pay off the next one. Or with the avalanche method, it's more of a money or math way of looking at it, meaning that you probably will save more money over the long term if you tackle the debt that has the higher interest. So you do have to decide what type of person you are. In addition, as you mentioned, you have to decide your risk tolerance about investing and paying off debt, or can you stomach a little bit of debt while you are trying to invest? Or if you feel like you just hate that debt, you just want to pay it off as quickly as possible. So everyone is really different with how they try to view those things. So thank you for sharing your perspective. For sure. And a, and a quick tip just for implementation purposes is separating your sort of minimum payment bucket from your sinking fund. So sure. my payoff strategy involved a sinking fund that the, like, I guess, excessive payment goes into. And then the minimum payment is automatically scheduled so that you get the benefit of the, I think it's, I don't remember what it might be now, but it might be like negative 0.25% that you save on interest sure. yep. by automating your payments. So you automate payments and then the extra payment that you are making, that extra payment is coming from your sinking fund. So you have a specific pot of money, or if you do the envelope method and envelope, um, that is geared towards debt payoff. You have another envelope that is, this is my investing money for guaranteed increased money, which are often index funds. And then you have your other pocket of money. Once you get there, that is fund investments, like stocks that I'm interested in or research that I've done on in a particular investment. Um or a startup that I might be investing in, like whatever your 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 vibe is, Bitcoin, do you boo? <laughs> um, and then you have your, um, but then you're executing the strategy that is automated. Sure. So you're not. There is no mistake. You just live your life, and all of a sudden, one day, you look at your bank account, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I paid off that student loan." You just get a letter that says you paid it off, and you're like, "Wow, I didn't even realize that was happening." Yeah, that's awesome. So automating, I think, helps a lot with implementation to the extent it's possible. Not all servicers let you do that. For sure. Yeah, automation is huge for both paying off debt and building wealth, I think. Exactly. I agree. Totally agree. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing about the advice that you guys have and the recommendations for people to follow. As you guys all know, this is not true technical financial advice because None of us are technical financial experts, so to speak. So you definitely need to do your own research and think about things. But thank you for sharing about the different types of information that our listeners can find on your guys' podcast, The Student Loan Podcast. But in addition to your guys' podcast, you've also started Start New, which is a platform that can assist others in paying back their student loans. So can you please share about Start New? How does it work? Maybe how some of the PA listeners could help benefit from it? 
Absolutely. And and thank you, Kat, for really giving us the opportunity to share, you know, what we're passionate about. Uh, as you heard from Daphne, um, the passion pours through the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, right? That's so awesome. <laughs> no, but that's, we really love what we do. And, and startnew.com is really an opportunity for students and alumni to exchange service hours for payments towards their student loans or tuition by helping nonprofits, right? It's really that simple. Okay. So um, what happens is that, let's say you're a PA and you graduate student loan debt, uh, you can actually sign up and we've switched the model now. So uh, what we've done is now we've focused now on the universities being the central hub, right? So wherever PA school you went to, um, you would bring them on board to be on startnew.com. And then once they're on board, then you can start searching for nonprofits in the area, serving for them, and then getting paid per hour, right, for your service. So when we initially started, you used to be able to just sign up um, whoever it was. Uh, You'd find a uh, servicer, whether, or excuse me, not servicer, I'm thinking so so many student loans in my mind, (laughs) nonprofits. Uh, You'd find nonprofits. Uh, You'd help them, whether virtually or in person. uh, And then you would receive uh, $25 an hour payment or directly to your student loan servicer or the school that you were going to, right? So it never touched your hands. It went directly to where it was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say that because we know that sometimes when people get credits, um, they don't always make it to where the best financial decision is for them. So, uh, But yeah, so that's the best way. So I would say for right now, uh, the best way is that if there's anyone in your audience, any PAs, any graduates, um, if you are interested in taking advantage of this opportunity to start new offers, then go to startnew.com, sign up for your own profile, petition your school. So what we're doing is that if you sign your petition to bring Start New to your campus, then we're using that to show that there's that interest there to, to bring us to your school. And then if you are really gung-ho and you're like, no, this needs to happen. I'm not just interested. I, I want to make sure this happens. Then you can actually apply to become a campus ambassador, whether you are still a student or graduated. Okay. Uh, and then you become a person that is an affiliate program, essentially, to uh, bring your school to the start, start new platform. That's $1,000. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So you get paid $1,000 to bring the school to your campus. And then uh, any nonprofits that you bring on yourself, uh, you actually receive a recurring payment. Uh, for two years from the moment that that nonprofit signed on board. So we really want to, like just with the idea, right? It's a creative solution to a problem that we know is going to take more than just our solution, right? Like we want to see, I don't know how many businesses start where they say, we want to see the purpose uh, eliminated so that we're out of out of business, yeah. right? Like we, it's, we didn't want to do this. Yeah, sure. yeah. Like there's so many other businesses that, that we qu- could have created profitably but we're really here because like student loan debt shouldn't exist like i'm i'm really passionate sorry (laughs) about the fact that it should not exist um Mm -hmm. people should not have this as a burden in life and we shouldn't be delaying our life decisions marriage children homes this is absolutely ridiculous so we are hoping that this opportunity this project gets rid of student loan debt and so we don't need to exist anymore and we're hoping to do that in our lifetime. So we don't want to have to do this. But the goal is nobody should have to worry about the cost of school preventing you from exploring your intellectual capabilities. Sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing about Start New. And new is spelled N-O-O for the listeners out there. So you can go to startnoo.com and 
check out Start New and learn a little bit more about it if you're interested in looking into this. Absolutely. Thank you, Kat. Yeah. And Daphne and Shamil, do you mind sharing how the listeners can find you guys and if they wanted to be in touch with you to reach out with additional follow-up questions or things like that? Sure. The best way to engage with us is just by visiting our website. It's startnew.com, S-T-A-R-T-N-O-O.com. And there you'll find all the information you need to connect with us. Yep. And then if you wanted to interact with us on social media, uh, you could find us on Instagram at startnewhq. So if you just search for startnew, you'll find us there. Uh, and we're on Facebook as well and on LinkedIn. I know a lot of PAs. LinkedIn. I'm, I'm a big LinkedIn guy. Just sure. as, maybe I'm showing my age here, but no, I'm serious. I think that there we is are. obviously a different uh, demographic <laughs> based on which platform you're using. Um, but I've I've been really uh, interested. It's been interesting to see how uh, different platforms, you know, uh, have had different engagement. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I wanted to thank you both so much for joining me on today's episode. I think that we covered the gamut of (laughs) student loans. So it was just such a wonderful episode. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to join me on today's episode. Thank you so much. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Thanks, Kat. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.